0: Welcome to open source startup podcast. As usual, this is Tim at Essence VC and our lovely partner, Robbie on Cowboy Ventures. Definitely super excited to have Octeto Ramiro to be on our podcast. It's a cloud development environments in Kubernetes. So welcome,
1: Ramiro. Hi, team. Hi, Robbie, super excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I am a big, big fan of your podcast. So it's it's really Thrilling to be now on the recording side of it.
2: Awesome. Well, we're super, super excited to have you on. And as someone who's heard the podcast before, you know, we do like to go all the way back to the beginning. So I'd love for you to walk us through where the idea came from for Octeto. And you can also talk a bit about like why it's challenging for developers to build with Kubernetes and kind of the pain that Octeto is solving.
1: It's kind of a because I am, you know, with Octeto, we're solving a problem that me and my co-founders and co-maintainers have had. Throughout our entire careers. I have been a developer all my life. I still identify as a developer. And, you know, from the early days of my career, I've always struggled with this idea of like how hard it was to build applications for the cloud. You know, I used to work at Microsoft, part of the Azure team. And even back then when we were building cloud infrastructure, this idea of like, hey, there's nowhere I can run my code that looks like production. It was a huge pain point for all of us. Like we had to kind of like simulate back then what we had this internal thing called Azure on a box. And we had to simulate all the internal workings on Azure on our developer machines because that was the only way you can get this kind of like real verification that, hey, these changes I'm making actually work on my target environment. And then you know I moved to the Bay Area, start working in startups. And, you know, in 10 years, we went from physical data centers to cloud, VMs, then containers, and all microservices. And all through that, this difference from how an application looks on your dev box to what this looks like in production, it just got larger and larger. And then, you know, one of my best friends, Pablo, and now my CTO, he was working at Docker at the time. Him and I were at DockerCon in San Francisco many years ago when the Kubernetes team kind of finally announced, hey, we're going to open source Borg, this is the world, this really cool idea around orchestration. And it was really cool, but at the same time, we both kind of look at each other and be like, oh my God, this is going to make things even harder now. Because now you have this super complex orchestration layer on top of everything else. So, you know, fast forward a few years, I was at Atlassian as an architect on HipChat. Pablo was a Docker. Ramon, our other co-founder, was at Google. And the three of us realized that this problem around, you know, how to make it easier for developers to just write software and not have to deal with all these complexities around orchestration, infrastructure, the difference from dev to prod was everywhere. I had that problem internally in HipChat. Pablo was seeing this problem with pretty much every Docker customer. Ramon saw the same thing internally to Google, and he kind of shared some of the things that Google had built internally. And I know we kind of had that light bulb moment when it was like, hey, we're all trying to solve this problem internally. It seems like the industry is standardizing on microservices and Kubernetes. And it just felt like, yeah, this is the time to actually, you know, build this thing that we've been talking about for so long. And well, we had to go through a lot of iterations. But at some point, we all decided, hey, this is the right thing to do. We all quit our jobs. Pablo and Ramon lived in Madrid. So I, I moved to Madrid for a few months to kind of work with them. And we started hacking. And through this process, we discovered, we kind of hit this idea of like what Octero is now, which is in the very beginning at its minimal, is this CLI that you run on your computer and you run one command, Octetro up. And that deploys this dev environment fully configured on Kubernetes where you can do things like code synchronization hot debugging, run your tests, get some realistic data, all that stuff. But uh, it's funny when you look backwards how like all these things we did in our career kind of put us in the right direction to being really good at this very specific problem. And I'm really excited that we kind of got the chance and the whole thing is started as an open source project. Honestly, we didn't thought in the beginning as as a commercial. It was like, hey, yeah, let's do this, solve this problem for ourselves, solve it for our friends. And then at some it was like, hey, this might be something more here. And that's when we kind of started to think of Octeto as more than just an open source project and into an entire company.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I remember that DockerCon too, when Kubernetes was out there. I love to chat about maybe sort of journey of how your projects evolve. Because I remember when we talked the first time, it looks so different than what you have now. And one thing I also observe of other related companies, cloud development or Kubernetes development, everyone's approach is very different, where what they actually are trying to do and the way they do it are just so different. So love to kind of get your thoughts of where do you start? Like when you say, I want to build Kubernetes development, what does that mean? What is the starting point you have? And how did you iterate and some of the lessons during the iterations towards what you have today, which is much, much different?
1: It's very interesting because... I think all of these companies and a lot of our projects, are companies, I think, started about the same time, which is, you know, 2019, I think, was when I always call this kind of like the day two of Kubernetes. You know, before that, everybody was worried about like, okay, what is this Kubernetes thing? How do I run it? How do I keep it running? And then, you know, Google came out with a GKE, eventually AWS came with EKS, then Azure the other AKS. So that kind of solved that problem. Even if you were to, I've always gone to KubeCon. I love that community. You can see how the vendors switch from like, hey... Operational concerns, how to install it, how to run it, how to secure it. And then I think for us 2019 was when we can start seeing the shift towards, okay, you have this thing, now how do you use it? For me as a practitioner of Kubernetes, kind of like the whole thing came and from this frustration we had at, and I'm not kidding, is how long it took to deploy a container. Like, you know, I was writing code and this cycle of, okay, I wrote some code, great, it works. I'm going to build a container. I'm going to push this container to a registry. Then I'm going to run a command to redeploy this application in Kubernetes, not recreate my pods, whatever. That took a very long time. And it was very frustrating. We were like building other things. I was doing these experiments in Atlassian. And Pablo is one of the foremost, my co-founder, authorities in the world on how to optimize Docker files. He was a Docker. And was one of the things he was like really good at still is building this Extremely optimized Docker files, right? Before, multi-stage and all those things. And even with his help, it was super slow. And it's one of those moments where, I don't know if it ever happened to you, but it kind of happens to be like, hey, it's either I'm doing this wrong because it can't be like this, or we have to figure out a better way. And from this frustration, we kind of start thinking about like, okay, like what can we do to solve this problem? And one of our ideas was like, okay, building a container takes whatever. Redeploying an application takes a long time. What if we just not do that? And then it was a couple of days that we were kind of hacking on this. And then we saw this open source project called SyncThing that was doing this. was really good at this kind of like point-to-point synchronization. And it was like, oh yeah, that's great. We can take that, remove these other ideas we had. And then Pablo was working on the fast synchronization. I was working on how to like do this hot reloading in the containers. Ramon was working on the ux of like so we always love the docker up commands we wanted something simple and through all of this came this core idea of like yeah you you want one command to kind of put your application in what we call even to this day development mode and then you're just writing code and seeing the results and to me even today you know like four years later and as you mentioned tim like our product has evolved now we see octetal more as a Developer experience, automation, platform, and not just dev environments. Still, the core of the experience for a lot of our customers, whether it's open source or commercial, is this amazing experience of like one command and you're developing. And you know, part of our goal, and one of our investors always says this, is bringing back that joy of like, I don't know if you were around when like Rails came out, but the whole Rails S is like, great, one command and I have things running. That, if we can bring that to the world of microservices, I think we, we succeeded. And I think that's what molded this vision for us is it came from our experience and kind of this pain. I always joke around that. I don't know how founders do companies where they don't have the problem themselves. I think that's like 10 times harder. I love the fact that with our company, this is a problem I have. It's a problem that I, I don't know, get annoyed at. So every time we kind of have these improvements, it's like, oh, it's amazing. Like every time I have to develop something and I, for whatever reason, octet is not a good fit, I'm like, oh my God, like how can we develop like this? So for me, this is like fantastic. And I think that molded our vision. And as you said, other projects and companies in the space are doing things differently. And I think it comes from that, right? Like we build the tools that solve our pain and other people have other pain. There's other projects out there that are solving it in different angles. And to me, that's one of the most amazing things about open source and the developer tools ecosystem is how the problem space is so large. There's room for opinionated solutions or for more general use because there's so many developers out there. And and that to me is the most amazing part of of this.
0: Yeah, that's really amazing. And I think probably a lot to learn more because, you know, your journey definitely starts with your own experience, but I think you went to YC. Right. And then also went through that journey. And that's actually when we talked the first time, I believe. Maybe we can talk about like how YC helped on this journey. And I'm also very curious, like there are sometimes a lot of companies, but especially when it comes to developments, right? You have an opinion, right? A strong opinion of how this should work. But then all the rest of the wealth developers may not either follow that or not, right? So there is probably some education pieces too. So touch on maybe the early journey of that. YC journey and the early product iterations of how you nailed down, this is what we should do from a product,
1: view. All three of us are first-time founders. Like we've been an open source for a long time, maintainers, contributors. And that's why we, I think it was natural for us to start this idea as an open source project. Initially, it was like that. And then one of our mentors, the founder of Bitnami, one day kind of he told us, hey, you know what? YC was very useful to me. You kind of seem like the same as I, like very technical, but not a other experience around like entrepreneurship. You Should apply. And for was like, yeah, it was kind of like nice to have. Yeah, why not? I mean, at the time I was living in San Francisco, I still live here. My co-founders were in Spain. So it was like, yeah, I mean, I know I knew of YC. It always felt like this kind of unachievable kind of like goal. So we kind of like apply. And we applied, we sent the video. The next day I went on this like two-month vacation trek through India with some friends, came back, and yeah, we kind of got this invitation. Yeah, please, can you come on this day to San Francisco? And we want to interview you. I'm like, okay, let's do this. We flew here, we went through the interview. It's like, a I don't know if you've gone through this, but it's a 15, 20-minute interview. is the most nerve-wracking. It's like, welcome, join this room. Three people, they ask you questions, right by, and we'll let you know later today. And yeah, we got in. It was super exciting. Uh, I still remember that moment. And for us, what really made a difference going through YC was it really helped us change our mentality from, hey, we're solving this problem for us, to like, we have this chance to build a company that will solve this problem for the industry. And I think that's something that Weiss is really good at, is that helping these very technical founders to develop this vision and mission of like, hey, what you're solving is a lot more than just you. And that's something that the people there really repeat. And it's something that, I don't know, now I try to like help and kind of like pay it forward and mentor friends or peers in the space. I think it happens a lot to like very technical founders because you you know have the good luck to come from like big companies, technically sophisticated, then you kind of assume that's how the entire world operates. And like, of course, Kubernetes, that's like an old thing. But then when you actually put the entrepreneur hat on, you're like, no way, this is a huge opportunity. Like the entire world is just catching up on this. I have this secret ability or knowledge about this that nobody else has. And that is one of my favorite questions about the YC interview is why you and why now? And that's when you can answer, well, I've been building developer tools for 10 years, I've suffered this problem more than anybody else. I'm the best person to solve it. And that's something that as a founder never thought about it until YC. So that helped a lot. And your other question is kind of like, it ties nicely to this. Because this idea of cloud dev environments is something that we kind of had from day one. But at the beginning of our journey, nobody got it. Everybody was like, why No, That's not what you should be building. That's not what the market needs. At some point, we pivoted briefly to do more like a pass, like a Heroku on Kubernetes, because we felt that was the forward. And I'm very happy that we kind of stuck to our gut. And I think that's something very important about founders is having this strong opinion, as you said. There's a thin line between being like strong opinion and being like strong headed. And I think founders need to navigate that because it took us an entire year of like getting constant pushback until we kind of started finding an audience that got it. An audience that proved that this idea that we had had legs. And I I wouldn't call it market fit yet, but enough to be like, oh yeah, that thing you're talking about, this company halfway across the world has the same problem and we would like to pay money to not have that problem. It took us like a year. And in between, you know, you're talking to a lot of people, you're getting a lot of no's, you're getting all this push, but because any project you do, most people are going to say that makes no sense, no matter what it is, right? It's just the nature of like innovation. And that's what now I, I, when we talk to our Candidates or employees, we always, I always stress this. Like we are inventing a new path forward. So the natural thing is that people are going to be like, no, that's not possible. No, there's no way to do that. And for us, it's very important to kind of strike that balance. Like you can't just close your eyes and ears and be like, no, no, I know better. But feedback from potential customers, from users is something that is tricky because you have to be open to it. But I do believe that you do need a core, strong idea. And there are times where you have to stick to your gun and be like, no, this is what we're building. I know it in my bones. And if you don't agree, it's because you don't get it yet. And, you know, sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it wrong. But I'm glad we stuck to that because the time proved that the market was moving in the direction that we thought it was moving. And now we have the advantage that we've been building this for a couple of years by the time like more and more companies wanted to solve this problem.
2: Awesome. And I'd love to double click on this journey of getting to like project market fit and what happened. So from my understanding, you launched the open source CLI in early 2019. And then it sounds like after a year, you started getting some signals it was working. Like, what were those? Like, what were you looking for? Was it a certain level of engagement, certain amount of momentum? Because I think a lot of open source companies struggle with this, like figuring out when your project is really resonating so what was it for you that really told you, okay, like this is getting adopted or this is resonating with folks?
1: This is one part that I love about open source is that open source is very honest. For us, it sounds funny, but it's something I tell people and it's a good hack. One of the first moments when we knew, hey, there's something here is when we went to a meetup. We talked about Octetto and this idea, open source. And then after the meetup, and this was in, I think it was in Barcelona, three or four people stopped after, kind of stay behind, to talk more with us about it, like, oh, yeah. And kind of getting that, hey, I'm talking to not my friends. I went to this public venue, and four people out of, like, I don't know, 100, maybe 50 people, whatever it was, stuck around, not because of pizza, not because of, like, drinks, but to talk to us about this project. That, for me, was, like, this really cool first sign of, like, okay, there's something here. And then, like, both Pablo and I were, before Octetro, pretty involved in the Docker, Kubernetes community, meetups, so that helped because we, had, we knew those channels. And that's something that now I advise everybody in open source is kind of going and talking about your project in conferences, in meetups, like anywhere they'll take you, really. It's super valuable because these are the kind of like the people who are passionate about technology. These so are people who go to meetups Are people who are like in their free time, they're trying to learn more. And they're trying to figure out what's out there. So this is the people you need. This is like the super early adopters. It's the people who are going to like eventually push your idea into their companies. So that was really cool. That was kind of the first step. The second step was when we kind of had these ideas and we're trying to get our friends to use it. And it's funny because that to me sounds also a really good litmus test because you know your friends are going to be nice to you and they're going to be supportive. But once you tell them, okay, well, can you use this in your day-to-day? If it's not good, your friends are not gonna use it just because they're your friends. So that was another good measure. We kind of start seeing like peers at YC or friends kind of giving Octeto an honest shot at like, oh yeah, let's try this idea of like your dev environment in Kubernetes. That's kind of got us this early traction of like open source, small teams. Now that when I look back, we did so many things wrong. We overbuilt product as engineers too. But getting them that and then kind of getting that first company to use Octeto. Something that was very helpful to us is as we started to get a better understanding of who was a good fit for that, we always asked the question, hey, what would it take for your company to roll this out? Like, what do you think are like the blockers? And a lot of the answers from those conversations, actually most of them, became the roadmap for our commercial product. Because back in the days, you know, the first thing somebody told us was like, well, I will never let my developers develop in Kubernetes because I don't want to have to create namespaces for them and manage the cluster for them and like, oh, okay. And then we're like, what if we just build that? And then they will ask, no, because I have to handle these quotas. Oh, we're gonna build that for you. Well, I have to create accounts. And then through some of these conversations, we kind of started to get a really good idea of what developers needed to our friends, to our peers, to this kind of open source community. And then by talking to them about their work, we learned what the industry, or what at least we thought the industry needed to be able to adopt And and this is like a a year, I'm I'm making it sound like it's like a simple thing, but this took like a good 12 months. A lot of that was kind of like just talking. And that's the hardest thing, I think, as a founder and also as a maintainer of an open source project. Again, going back to how you deal with the fact that most people are not going to agree with you. It's hard. And sometimes it can be demoralizing. And anybody who's been on the founder path knows that it's it's a lot of that. It's like 80% of that and then 20% of very high cool moments. So it's important to handle it, but um, at least for me, always going back to the fact that we were solving something for ourselves was very reassuring because I knew that, hey, this is useful. I don't know if it's useful for a million people or like 10 people or just for me, but at least the fact that it was useful for me was like already like a motivating factor.
0: I actually want to talk about your sort of content strategy, I guess, because I see you have a lot of blog posts actually since the beginning. And We've been talking to a lot of just sort of developer companies. Like content is generally one of the main strategies of getting people to understand, evangelize. I can understand sort of motivations of early posts. A lot of them are examples. How do you build this on top of Octeto, right? There's a bunch of sort of like Octeto with, with this, right? With Crossplane, with K3S, with a bunch of things, right? I'm just curious, like what worked content strategy-wise? Like what, because I, I it's funny, it always surprises people. When it comes to content, like, I didn't know which posts actually worked better or not. I'm just curious, were there particular content that actually works super well? And or were there some sort of fine-tuning or iteration on, like, what we should write
1: more or write less? There was definitely fine-tuning, even to this day. But content was, and it still remains, the one thing I'm, like, I'm super glad we did it from, like, day one. And I think this goes in line with what I was saying earlier about going to, like, conferences or meetups. It's all about talking about the problem you're solving and showing how. For us, it was a natural extension. Yeah, we're going to all these like meetups. You can't, there's only so many you can go to, but if I write a blog post about the same thing, it will reach more people. Content is evergreen, which it's a double-edged sword, because also it's hard. You always have to remember to keep your samples working. But it was really useful. At the beginning, that super basic content of how do I use Octeto with X, Y, and C gave us a lot of initial lift because it's natural, right? Like a developer somehow magically finds your website, right? And they're like, okay, I'm a Python dev. Like, what do I do now? Or I'm a Java dev. So one of the things that worked best at the beginning, we have all these CDs of like how to develop Kubernetes applications for Java, for Python, for Rust. And we wrote all the languages because we were like, okay, we don't know where the audience is. At some point, I met one of the founders of Heroku and they told me, okay, something that's key for developer tools is find... A niche that is widely passionate and don't go and try to build this for everybody. But we didn't know. We thought, okay, Kubernetes, you know, it's mostly Go and Java. So let's start there. And we wrote those. And then we write them and then kind of post them everywhere Reddit, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook groups actually became an interesting source because something that I learned is that, especially in the early days, you need to shoot wide because getting traffic to your website, even if it's not the ADL traffic, it still helps you rank higher. And one of those moments for us was we wrote this guide on how to build Ruby applications on Kubernetes, which you will think makes no sense. Why would somebody do Rails on Kubernetes? Like it's two different worlds. And to what you said, Tim, it's always a surprise. Our first kind of like major customer, monday.com, which is for us the customer where things really changed They learned about Octeto because they saw on Reddit when we posted a how to build Ruby applications on Kubernetes. Because they were like, hey, we're Ruby shop and we're thinking about Kubernetes because microservices. And it was like, okay. And they find us, they talk to us, and then they became our customer. And that was like magical. And the other that was entirely struck of luck was K3S. That blog post you saw, when K3S came up, we were in YC. I remember that very vividly in the morning. I saw the announcements from Rancher and I was like, oh, that's really cool. Let me try it out. I saw it. It was like, oh, that's really cool. Will it work with Oxeto? I tried. Oh, it worked. I wrote this blog post really quickly, just kind of like a super lame sample, put it in our blog post, put it on Twitter. I don't know how somebody from Rancher saw it. And then the next day on their PR kind of blitz, they put a link to it. So I said, hey, this is an example of how the community is adopting K3S. And that drove a ton of attention to our project because back then we were like just pure like developers. Hey, use open source. Here's like on vanilla Kubernetes. It was nothing around like we didn't have back then anything commercial and that caught a lot of, so for us, this kind of content of trying to just show people how you can build cool things with our project. I think something that kind of like the other side of the story is I wrote a lot of content trying to explain the vision behind Octero, and back then that content fell completely flat. And maybe it's because I'm bad at it, but I think there's also, you know, there's this aspect of like, I think startups need to decide or open source, anybody building something new, you have to decide is like, I call this like, are you going to be in the business of converting people into your cause or are you going to go find the converts? And we discovered through trial and error that finding those people who already agree with us was way more efficient. And funny enough, this applies for open source users, investors, and customers, because the moment we changed that, the moment I stopped kind of like trying to talk to every investor and just focus on people like you, too, who understands open source, commercial, and this, our entire traction in, in all of these measures changed um, dramatically. So that was a uh, good learning all across the board.
2: Oh, I love how you really hone in on the power of content and how it can just attract people to you, whether they're going to be customers or investors. That's kind of a follow up to that. I want to talk through the positioning of octetto because there are like different pain points that it solves whether it's onboarding or spinning up environments faster but then also like different use cases and so how have you kind of learned how to talk about it i love that you have case studies on the website already but like what was that process of figuring out how to really describe all of the power of octetto that could like speak to so many different kind of pains
1: i would love to say i have an answer for that but that's, i think that's an ongoing evolution but things we learned that the along the way. And this is like, it's something for everybody who's building a company to remember that, you know, when you look at a company's website, what you don't see is like the years of iteration. So trying to kind of like, when you say a website, oh, that's amazing. It's like, yeah, well, that took years. So don't feel bad if your website and your positioning is not great. Like every company, our I don't think is great, but it's getting there. Part of what helped us a lot is being more focused on, you know, this entire concept of personas is something that, I knew Atlassian was big on personas, where I used to work before, but I never really like ingested the whole idea. And it's like, okay, you need to figure out who are you trying to reach out. And the more specific you are, because every tool does too many things, right? Like Otero has, as you mentioned, like five, six different like major features and facets. So for us, as we got more clarity on like, who's the user of your product? Who's the buyer of your product? Which... Sounds obvious, but to me, it took me a while to kind of like fully understand that this is a big difference. And who is the advocate of your project, of your product really helped us modify our messaging towards, okay, who are we trying to attract? Right. And it goes back to like, are you trying to attract the developer that already has this pain point? Like at some point, like, and you've seen our website, one of the, Pain points that we always hear from developers is I can't run this application on my laptop anymore because it just, and and that's one aspect, right? But if you're trying to reach out to a CTO of a company, they don't care about that. The CTO cares about, hey, you know, you were brought in to modernize development and move your entire company towards, you know, cloud native patterns. So they care a lot more about access to Kubernetes per developer with like compliance and control. But, you know, the developer experience team cares a lot about this other feature we have around a fast inner loop. So being able to refine our strategy around who are we targeting and then kind of putting ourselves on their shoes and be, what do they care about? It's something I wish we had done before because it's one of those things that, you know, once you do them, it's like, yeah, of course. But if you go and you check the Wayback Machine and see our website like two years ago, like we had this, I think that at some point, the tag was Kubernetes for developers. And that means nothing. Like, I was very proud of that moment, but now I'm like, what is that? People thought we were like a Kubernetes provider, which of course, that was very helpful. And that's where like, also like, it's not me, like as we grew as a company, hiring a marketing team, we were very lucky that Ashley and her head of marketing joined. She came from like Netlify, Docker, very strong experience around like developer tools and speaking to like all these different personas within the world of developers, was instrumental in refining this messaging. Because once you have that, this messaging really helps you drive everything. Which conferences you're going to go talk to? What do you want to write about? If you see a blog post lately, we're really a lot more focused on explaining the value high level, because now we're realizing that Octero is a lot more appealing to like platform teams, to like DevX teams, not necessarily to just developers. So we right now have a new strategy around that, the last quarter. We've been talking a lot. I did a webinar on build versus buy with the founders of Replicated because that's something that we've seen that a lot of people in the industry are struggling with and like our buyers struggle with. But that was very helpful is, is defining these personas, understanding what they care about, what their value, and then using that to help them get a better understanding of what we do. Because again, like one of our biggest changes was, I'm going to put the information, I don't want to convince you that Kubernetes is the right thing for you. Like if you are not in that position, there are other companies that will help you. But once you decided, hey, Kubernetes is for me. I want to build native applications. Then we're here for you when you have to start thinking about how do I make that palatable to my developers. And that's what Octello is really good at. And that's where we're focusing a lot of our efforts now. And that change from trying to cover everything for everybody it takes less resources. It's a lot easier to explain when you go and try to sell to somebody. You can explain based on what they know. And now we have all these different pitches. of like, hey, when I'm talking to my friends about Octetro, one way. If I'm talking to a developer, I talk about certain pain points. When I'm pitching Octero to investors, I explain from a different perspective. And all of them are true. They're just different perspectives based on what everybody cares about and where they're sitting in terms of vision. Some people care about what they can do today. And you know, the developer is like, okay, I got your binary. What can I do now? And the investor is like, okay, in 10 years, where are you going to be? And that, at least to me, took me a while to understand.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a journey we all have to learn. You know, I speak me because I had to learn that too. It was really, really hard. So I actually want to talk a little about what is a typical customer journey with you. Like, let's say you found a blog post, like to try it. Because you do have an open source project that was a CLI. You know, you have a dev environment in space basically for you. So you're almost like a hosted Kubernetes fast experience, there's not much mention of the open source part of it, unless you go to the community and go to GitHub. So I'm curious, like, what is the typical user journey for you now and have it changed? Was it all open source trying and then start to work with you? And now has it morphed into just user products and open source is powering it? I'm just curious, like, has that evolved?
1: Yeah, no, it has evolved a lot. At the beginning, it was open source, just open source, right? And still, and this was always very important to us, is we wanted to have an open source experience and a journey. And there are companies, like major companies that are using Octeto just open source. And then they kind of use that as a building block as part of their developer experience. Other companies start open source, they learn of it because of open source, but then, you know, platform teams, DevX teams, they don't want to build everything themselves. They were like, okay, you're building this, you care about this topic. I care about this topic, let's talk. And that has become the typical journey. It's like every company in the world is building software. Every company in the world has problems around developer onboarding, productivity, especially as you move to this world of like cloud native applications with all these different components. So they're looking for solutions. So a good portion of our commercial traction comes from people who are looking for this. And if you see our website is very focused now on this. It's like they're looking for a solution for like, My members complain that the inner loop is too slow or that you're having all these issues in production because they can't replicate production anywhere else. So the journey starts with that question. And then that's where our content helps a lot. That's where our website helps because they kind of find Octero through that. They're searching and whether it's through their friends, through trade events, or just through good old Google search, and they find us. And one of the adjustments we made through the years is that we kind of discovered that Platform teams and open source developers or open source users follow a different journey. Like platform teams, especially in the kind of these more like sophisticated companies, they're no longer in like the, hey, I'm going to build all this together. Like, hey, I have this problem and I need to solve this in the next quarter. What do I do? So that's why we have this kind of two-pronged strategy where the website is very focused on our commercial product is very focused on this platform company-wide or team-wide initiative while open source is built for those developers who want to build an experience for themselves and then for their team in this bottoms-up fashion. You need both because at the end of the day, I'm still convinced that no matter who makes the purchase, no matter who is the driving factor, developers need to like and see value in what you're building. Like a company can spend a million dollars on Octetro and say, every developer needs to use Cloud environments. And if developers don't find them useful, they will find a way to go around this. I've done it in the past. You know, the whole idea of rogue IT and, and rogue DevOps and putting things on credit cards is real. So it's very important to have both. You know, you need this motion of like developers know of you. They use it. They like it. And that's kind of for me the magic when both things happen together. When the developer knows about Octeto, they like it. And then the company's like, hey, we're looking for cloud environments. We're thinking about this. And they say, oh, yeah, of course, Otero, I know. I use that product for, like, my side projects. It's amazing. We should buy it. That is what you always aspire to. It's a lot of uh, serendipity for that to happen. But that is the strategy. And that's where, like, also this two sides of the company, open source and commercial. Well, they need to coexist because not everybody is looking for a fully open source solution. And there are needs. As you start getting into larger companies, there are needs that they have that cannot be solved through open source. You know, like the standard enterprise roadmap, you know, it's something that large companies need around compliance, around onboarding, boarding, That open source users, it will just be a burden if the default version of Redis requires to set up SAML to use it. Right? It's like, why? I just need a cache. But enterprise, we have other needs.
2: And so today, how do you think about splitting the team's effort between growing adoption of the open source and driving more kind of paid usage, but also features there? How do you kind of split that effort? I think that's something that a lot of open source founders and teams struggle with. So I'd love your perspective on it.
1: It's a conversation we have a lot internally, and it's not easy. Something that isn't very helpful for us. And I think when I look out at open source projects who are doing this successfully, I think one of the patterns they follow is there's very clear guidelines on who are you building each thing for. Like for us, one of our guiding lights has always been that we want a developer to be able to launch, like to fully manage our remote dev environment and be able to kind of like build a feature by himself on open source. Like if you're, it's it's the whole permissionless idea, right? Like. Octeto, we build this this way. Like, Octeto, all it requires is you have access to a namespace in Kubernetes. No admin permissions. You don't install anything. So worst case, you're the solo developer in your organization that agrees with this vision. You download the binary. It doesn't require installing anything. It's a binary you get off GitHub. Okteto up, and you're developing. And having that clarity means that it makes it easier to understand that, hey, we're going to add... Last week, actually, we released this feature called Catalog. Which allows you to set up a catalog of pre-configured dev environments that you can one-click and launch them. It was clear for us, okay, that is not this experience of one developer. This is the experience of a platform team setting up an experience for a company. And you know, they care about efficiency, they care about security, they care about compliance. So that makes it a lot easier for us. I mean there are certain features that are closer to the line. We were trying to figure out if we log on one side or another. But having this clarity of like who are you building this for, what scenarios you care about, also help the community a lot because then the community knows that if they send a PR for something that is not part of the scenario, it's not going to get accepted, and you don't get into a fight of like why not? Are you trying to hide things from customers from users? Because you know you also have to be pragmatic. Like companies, they need customers, they need funding, they need uh, money to run. Otherwise both things stop to progress. And I have so many friends in the open source world where they build great things, but because they never had this clarity, they have a really hard time monetizing it. And then the open source project suffers because then the maintainers can live of just doing that. And then they have to either find a corporate sponsor or just do it, you know, a couple of hours a night, which is not healthy for themselves, not healthy for the projects and not healthy for the community. Awesome. So
0: we usually end on... Pretty much the same question. And I think you definitely have a lot of learnings, but what will be like the number one advice you'll give other open source founders that are just back in 19, similar situation, right? Three great engineers, one a bit of open source based company. What will you tell them to learn from your
1: experience? I will tell them to trust their instincts, even when it looks like it's not obvious, like all great cool new things were non-obvious at first. and learn how to sell as soon as possible because being good at selling, that is a magical. And by selling, I mean like selling your vision. Right? It doesn't have to be like monetary. Like you need it for everything to get more people to contribute, to get invitations to like speaking at conferences, to eventually, you know, if you want to get into an incubator, like with like a accelerator like YC, or you want to get VC funding and then eventually paying customers, being good at selling, being comfortable with like being out there. I wish I had like, learned that five years ago because like for me personally, it was a very hard journey of like being comfortable enough, which I'm getting there, <laughs> of like actually like, you know, being in front of a customer, being in front of a candidate and kind of sell them the vision. Those two things are fundamental. I think like all successful founders, they trust their instincts and they're good storytellers. I think storytelling is the right way, not selling, storytelling. I think being good at storytelling and verbalizing why you're doing what you're doing is one of those like hacks that uh, are achievable it's a skill. I mean, some people are better at it from day one, but I think it's a skill you can learn. So definitely, far way to chat to Ramiro, Pablo, and Ramon from 2019. I'd be like, please trust your instincts as we did and invest as much as you can on good storytelling skills.
2: Awesome. No, that's a fantastic place to end. And also something that we've also noticed, after, like the founders we work with and also the founders we have on here. So I think that is great advice for our audience. Thank you so much for doing this with us. This was fantastic.
1: Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Timmy. It was a lot of fun. Love the questions and love the conversation. Thanks for having me. And, and I'm looking forward to the next episodes.